This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the recent episodes I've put out there. There are going to be plenty more to come over the next few weeks, especially as we gear up towards the summer's European Championships. Hopefully the weather's going to change and it will really feel like an international tournament. Now coming up very soon I'll be speaking with an England manager who tells us about the growing game of walking football. But first, I'd like to touch on the ticket situation for England supporters for the Euros. Now, as you may remember from a recent episode, I mentioned that UEFA had cancelled all ticket applications and we were to be added to a ballot by our own fan clubs. Obviously, in our case, the England Supporters Club. That ballot has since been conducted and due to the restricted allocation of Wembley, which at the moment is set at 22,500, there was always going to be a lot of disappointed and frustrated people out there. Those who initially had tickets only to have them taken away from them and then find themselves unfortunate because they didn't match the supporters club ticket ballot rules. I myself, I decided not to publicise my results as I didn't want to come across as, I don't know, crass or arrogant on social media. But I've been very fortunate. I've been allocated a ticket for each group game, one against Croatia, one against Scotland and one against the Czech Republic. But I kind of feel I have earned that luck. I think I had 44 caps to my name, which meant I had enough caps to be considered for all the games. And I've been to all the home games and two away games during the membership period. I've been a member since... (laughs) I don't know when. Uh, But let's be honest. With various virus variants floating about... I'd say a, a tongue twister, isn't it? I am not counting my chickens too much just yet. We know from experience that things can still change in the snap of the fingers. As I say, I do feel fortunate... But it means I hope to bring you a flavour of the games through this podcast for those that can't be there. And we all know this pandemic has brought about so many problems and the issue of allocating tickets for a major football tournament is one of them. But in the grand scheme of things, it is such a small thing. But I appreciate how frustrating it can be for some. But what I will say is for those who have missed out, enjoy the tournament with friends share a beer and sing song in pubs and going forward continue to apply for tickets for games both home and away build up your caps that then will stand you in good stead in applying for future tournaments Qatar is what 18 months away give or take okay perhaps not the most desirable places to go for football but with a minimum of seven scheduled world cup qualifiers before then All of those come with caps, which makes 14 of those, 14 caps up for grabs between now and the end of the year. And that's before any friendlies are announced. 
It's a great way to get on the ladder. And then thinking further ahead with Germany hosting the 2024 European Championships, that whets the appetite just a little more. I know it's frustrating missing out on some of these tournament games, uh, but the uh, the future is looking brighter, promise you. Now, moving on. I remember, as a child, watching any football match on the telly. Once it was over, the only place I was going was out to the garden. And even now, perhaps not as capable with the ball as I once was, but there's still that feeling or dream of playing, isn't there? It never leaves you. And it shouldn't. Regardless of your age or capabilities, I think my next chat proves that. Now, as I've mentioned so often in the past, there's so many England teams out there, so many different types of codes of the game too. But one of the fastest growing codes is that of walking football. So it's my pleasure to welcome the England manager, Stuart Langworthy, to the Three Lions podcast. Stuart, hello there. Yeah, good morning. How are you? Oh, very well. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad at all. Thank you. Looking forward to spending a bit of time talking about the wonderful game. Yeah, go on. Walking football. I mean, I must admit, I've heard of it and I've seen little glimpses here and there, but I don't know really enough about it. Do you want to just give us a little... Little introduction to the game. Yeah. Okay. First, I suppose I want to clarify. I'm the uh, the WFA over sixties uh, England manager, and I'm also assisting with the over forties women's team, and I'm also uh, a recently appointed director of the WFA. So uh, it's uh, quite a busy time, and it's all voluntary at the moment. But um, as you say, walking football is uh, it's one of the fastest growing sports uh, in the world at the moment. I mean, we think that in England there's over sixty thousand people who are playing walking football at the moment and that was the the sort of last research done by Sport England. How did it come about? Well there are in history there are two sort of episodes of where walking football was recorded. There was one in the 20s and one in the 30s the latter being at Derby County but as far as uh, anyone can establish those were sort of unofficial one-off games um, and there were no real rules or as such and they were 11 aside played generally by older people. Ten years ago, a chap called John Crute, who is um, at Chesterfield Football Club, and he is a director at Chesterfield at the time, he had people in his community who wanted, uh, older people who wanted to play football, and they kind of invented the the current format of the sport, where it was played to no, non-contact rules by groups, six-a-side teams, of, of older people and really the sport has sort of developed from there that the WFA was formed in 2016 and has developed a set of rules the FA has got involved through its county FA network there are now two sets of rules there's the WFA set of rules and the FA set of rules they're not vastly different but uh, the, the the biggest major difference is that the WFA rules are non-contact whereas the FA are minimal contact Although that does sound confusing, it's a damn sight better than when I started the game six years ago, where every single tournament you went to had a different set of rules and referees who had no idea as to what rules you were playing and et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, at the WFA, we're trying to standardise things and it's a, we're in a better shape now in terms of the sport than we were six or seven years ago when many people started playing it. Yeah. 
So it's from what I've seen as well. It's it's played on a obviously a a smaller pitch, sort of a, a six aside pitch, which is great because there's so many of those available in sort of leisure centres around the country now. So everyone can really get involved, and it's sort of the the smaller goals as well, isn't it? Yeah, and and what you've just described is is obviously the benefits of playing smaller sided football. More people get a touch, smaller pitches, etc. But it's also, in a way, the biggest problem facing the sport in that uh, there are no dedicated pitches for walking football. It's grown up on different facilities around the country. So you may have a, a five-a-side facility with boards, uh, which is not ideal because if you've got groups of older people playing, the ball never goes dead because oh. you've got boards keeping the ball in. Some facilities are like full-size AstroTurfs, uh, and therefore, the game is played across a full-size AstroTurf, which is huge. And you end up with it being eight or nine or ten aside. And then it's difficult to stop running when you're playing on such a big pitch. But as I say, that the idea is to try and standardise it. And the standard that we play up for in club competitions and national competitions now is a, a much smaller pitch, normally sort of 40 by 30 pitch. We play with the mini soccer sized goals which are 12 foot by six foot and there is a d for the goalkeeping area much like five aside and the goalkeeper is not allowed out and players are not allowed in um, and it's below head height and as i said before it's it, for the wfa rules it's non-contact therefore uh, a much safer sport for the older generation yeah well i'm thinking about myself i've never played it but i'm thinking should i when i get to the point where i, I might want to play it do people find they're tempted to run? Because I think I'd be like, oh, I could get that ball. I just need to, to go a bit faster. Yeah. Is that a problem? It's it's the biggest problem in the sport. And and it is a little bit subjective. I mean, unfortunately, if you put something out there on YouTube, uh, footage of a walking football match, you will get lots of people commenting on the fact that it's running. You won't get lots of comments about how technical the sport is and how talented the players are and, and all the benefits of getting large numbers of people out there being fit and healthy and having fun. The one thing that people seem to focus on is the running. And as I said to you earlier, you know, I spent uh, most of yesterday refereeing at a, at a regional tournament. And it is very difficult. It's very difficult as a referee to, to spot you know, some people's natural walking actions are if they've got, particularly if they've got small legs, they move, they move very, very quickly. Right. And you've also got to try and spot running off the ball because one of the okay. biggest problems is, is people who run off the ball to try and get themselves into good attacking or better defending situations. And it really should be quite simple because the rules are that one foot has to be on the floor. Right. But when, when the game is played, quickly it, it's there's so many different things that you've got to watch but the players really do appreciate it when you've got a very strict referee who is trying to cut down on the running because otherwise it just turns into old men's five side right. um, and you know that's that's one of the things that the WFA is trying to do we are training referees and we've now trained quite a few hundred referees across the country and in other countries and the more that we can do that and the more that we can get club sessions refereed, then the slower the game will become and the less of a shock it will be to players when they turn up to play in tournaments and they're told that they're running. Because that's the problem. At club sessions, it's a free-for-all, and then they turn up at tournaments when they've got a strict referee and they can't quite understand the fact that someone's telling them that they're running. 
when yeah. they don't believe that they are. So, yeah, it's it's a problem, but it's it's something that we're getting better at. The whole the whole game is getting better at it, and uh, it is very tempting to play the ball into space so that someone can run onto it. Um, but it's it's a very technical game. You have to play the ball to feet. You have to have a good first touch, and yeah. and that's that's the beauty of the game. It's quite technical. Yeah. So I mean, I, I guess it, as as with any referee across any code of the game, you've just got to have eyes in in all parts of your head, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, um, I, and it, it, the running off the ball is, as I say, a real difficult one to spot because you mm. do tend to follow the ball and you're trying to cut out the contact. But players will try it. But I've, I certainly I found that if you're very strict in the first few minutes of the game and they realise they can't get away with things, they will slow down and they will play the game properly. Yeah. And um, and that's what the vast majority of people want is is for it to be walking football. That's right. Let's move on to yourself. You are the, as you mentioned, the the manager for the is the over sixties England yep. team and the assistant for the over forties women. Was that right? That's right. Yeah, with with the WFA. Yes, that's yeah. correct. So so how did you become to become one of the England managers? Um. Yeah, well, it's quite bizarre, really. I mean, I've, I've volunteered in football all my life. I started coaching youth football when I was 12 years old. Um, I'm a teacher by profession. I've always run school teams. Um, as soon as my boys turned five years old, I started coaching at their youth team. And in fact, I became chairman of, the, of their youth club for 21 years. And as soon as my youngest son turned 16, I started coaching him senior football. So I've, I've always been involved in coaching football uh, I had my hip replaced uh, in 2007 and for me I was still playing 11 aside at the grand old age of 47 gradually moving backwards down the pitch I was a striker but gradually moving back into midfield and then into defence gradually moving from the firsts down to the fourths and I thought that when I had my hip replaced I thought that would be it for football I did try to play 11-side football in the new team that I formed for my for my son and his friends, a third team in the lowest division. But I, I couldn't, just couldn't stand the competitiveness and the running of the big yeah. pitch. And I saw an advert for walking football, a team locally, and I approached them and, and joined them. And we did very, very well. And I thought this is absolutely brilliant. And it was something that we were missing at, at my club. We had youth teams from the age of five all the way up to seniors, and we had four or five senior teams, but there was nothing for the older generation. So we formed Walking Football at my club, Abbeymead Rovers, and did incredibly well in the first few years. And then I saw an advert uh, on the the WFA uh, newsletter asking for people who were interested in running a national team, and I applied. My, My logic at the time was, when am I ever going to be able to say that I've applied for a national manager's job ever again, thinking I didn't have a chance? But the criteria at the time was a a proven success in walking football and the ability to manage people. Being a teacher, I think my people management skills have always been okay. I'm quite a well-organized person. And my my little club, Abbeymead Rovers, which is a, a housing estate in a in a rugby mad city had actually done incredibly well. We, we got through to national finals and come second and third in, in the country. So I applied and amazingly I was offered the role, uh, completely vol- voluntary. Yeah. Um, the interview was two hours long and included doing some video work because 
you know, I was told that I would quite possibly have to do TV interviews. So I was asked some fairly random and bizarre questions live, if you like, and had <laughs> to respond to them. So, uh, yeah, I was just completely blown away. It was something that, for me, was beyond a dream. You know, to be offered that opportunity was beyond a dream. I couldn't even have... have possibly dreamt that I would ever manage a national team and here was an opportunity and I've grabbed it with both hands. Absolutely Uh, and it's important to mention that the WFA aren't under the the England banner the FA's England banner as we know so you weren't interviewed by the likes of Sir Trevor Brookin and David Bernstein or or whoever's in charge at, at that level but it is still just as an important association to to be part of. Yeah, the the FA aren't involved at all at, at a national level. Uh, the FA's involvement is is through their county FAs. So no, the the, the WFA, as I say, was set up in 2016 as as the self proclaimed governing body, as as all governing bodies are when they first start, but um, with, with a pure aim on developing the game of, of walking football. And the whole concept behind forming national teams was to raise the profile of the sport. The infamous Barclays advert from many years ago uh, with, with older guys walking around with an iPad filming the game as they were playing did wonders for the game right at the start. Yeah. But, but it also didn't do justice to the fact that we wanted 50-year-olds to play the game and that not everyone was quite so immobile as those people. So, yeah, the, the idea behind forming a national team was to raise the profile of the sport. Um, I was interviewed by the directors at the time. And yeah, okay. So the, the FA aren't involved, and the FA do not actually recognise any of the the organisations who are currently involved in walking football. But it is left to us to try and develop the game and grow the sport as 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 much as we can at the moment. Yeah, no, no, and I wish you all the best with it. But as England manager, and I know we shouldn't really compare like for like, but Gareth Southgate, he will look at the players across the the country and and. The, the players within those those teams you're an England manager as well so how do you go about selecting players to play for England and is there levels of of walking football teams up and down the country how, how do you go about your job okay so um how we started was we organized national trials we had four national trials to start with one in the south east one in the southwest one in the midlands one up north the first one was at Sirencester in the southwest, at Millwall, at Burnley, and in Solihull. And we asked walking football clubs to nominate players, and we said they could nominate two. We knew that there were some clubs around the country who were very successful, who clearly had more than two quality players, and we said that they could nominate more than two if they spoke to us and they could justify nominating more than two. So we ended up by trialing at the time I mean bearing in mind this was a few years ago now when the game was not quite as big as it is now we trialed about 150 at over 50 and 150 at over 60 and the trials were really successful we basically split players into teams predefined teams we had midfielders defenders goalkeepers strikers in each team they weren't players that they had played with before and we made it clear that we were we were looking for technical players we were looking for team players I mean for example at one or two of the trials there were players who were brilliant they were absolutely brilliant but their attitude was awful 
Um, and there was no way, bearing in mind that this is all completely voluntary, that they would have upset the apple cart. So, you know, we've been looking for players who are gifted talent and talented in terms of playing walking football, but also who would fit into a team. And we had to make sure that we were able to build a team and we wanted these players to be role models because we knew that if we were playing matches around the world that we would be looked at and helping to develop the game in other countries. So that's that's what we were looking for. We we selected squads and we had a, if you like, a main squad and a shadow squad. And then we have training days. And what we've done from, from that point onwards is we've always kept spaces at training days to invite trialists in. And as the game has developed, we've realised that it's so it's so difficult for us. I mean, like I say, I'm, I'm a volunteer. I don't get travelling expenses. I can't go and stay in hotels up in the north of England to go and watch club games. So what we've now developed are regions. Right. So we have five regions and we, we bring those regions together three or four times a year to play against each other. So we can go and watch regional games and we can spot players at that level. And we can take our England team to play against the regions as well. So th- that's our way of, of spotting new talent at the moment. And clearly players are getting older all the time, um, but also there are players turning 60 all the time. So we've developed things. We've now developed an over 65s team, an over 70s team, and an over 75s team at the, the men's level. And women's, we've got 40s, 50s, and 60s. So the players who, who come to us, feel that there is some progression and there's no guarantee that if they've been selected for one team that they're going to automatically when they turn 65 go into the next team and there's no necessity when they hit 65 for them to leave the 60s team so it's all about opinion as we know football is all about opinion isn't it yeah And, and there are players that I've selected that maybe other people wouldn't but um that's football. It's it's about opinion, and you're judged on your results. And we've done incredibly well so far, and we've man- we've managed to build a team that there's a fantastic togetherness with the team. They all get on really well, and and I'm proud to say they are role models. Well, you said that the England team has been been really successful. Tell us some of the results, and and I've seen as well. See that that very first international that was played down at Brighton's Amex Stadium. Um, come on, tell us tell us a little bit more about the the England results and and how you've progressed through since then. Okay, so the, uh, the very first match, as you said, was down at the Amex Stadium in Brighton, and what what an occasion that was! You know, the first ever uh, international walking football matches played over fifties and over sixties, and I can tell you to to stand there with the team, linking arms, belting out the national anthem was was one of the proudest moments of my life uh, and for all of those players and to to be part of history was was quite incredible the over 60s won their game uh, 3-0 the over 50s won 2-0 since then we've been back out to italy uh, the only defeat of any of the england teams uh, has been so far my over 60s team right we played out in italy um, it's easy to to blame other people isn't it but we, they parked the bus <laughs> in in it, Again, as I said earlier, this is the difference with facilities. They didn't have walking football-sized goals, so they played in handball goals, which are much narrower and much more difficult to score in. Um, And they parked the bus, and uh, we must have had about 30 to 40 shots on target. 
their keeper was diving out the way and it was hitting his feet. And yeah, nothing. It would have been one of those games where we could have played all day and not scored. <laughs> and they they had about three shots, one of which hit the heel of one of our players and sort of dribbled over the line. Hey, no no excuses. You know, it's one of the that's football, isn't it? You yeah. can have games like that. The over fifties drew nil nil. So we, you know, you can tell that in in two hours of walking football, there was only one goal scored. That's how defensive and how difficult it was. But yeah, that was our only defeat. We we had a fantastic game out in Gibraltar and they saw their numbers grow as a result. We've played Wales home and away um, and won, won those games. We organised a European Championship. Now, at the time, there were only two other countries. Uh, there was England, Italy and Wales who had proper national teams. And we weren't going to lower our standards and allow club teams to come and represent a country. Yeah. So, yes, at the time, there was lots of comments about the fact that there were only three teams, but there were only three national teams in Europe at the time. And you can only beat what's in front of you. So we we became European champions. We've been trying to run a, a World Nations Cup for the last two years, but obviously COVID has impacted on that. And the first... World Nations Cup is planned for May next year, May 2022. And at the moment, we have 16 teams at each age group represented. Uh, So that tells you how much the game has grown. And those teams have all confirmed that they've had trials and that they've, they've selected a team. So they're not club teams representing their country. They're selected teams. We, We know that they're all sometimes not the whole nation, but, as the sport is growing, if they're a, a large region within a country, then uh, and walking football hasn't got organised in the rest of that country, then you know, so long as there have been trials that have been taking place a, across a large part of that country, then we're welcome into the World Nations Cup. So that's going to be a fantastic event. So, so where, um, yeah. where's that going to be hosted? At the stadium up at Manchester City, not the main stadium, but the the, the training one next to it. Academy and training stadium next to it, which has a 5,000-seater seat, capacity. Mm. So, um, yeah, we're fantastic. We're very lucky that we've got the support of Manchester City and uh, Manchester FA and Lancashire FA and Andy Burnham, the mayor of Manchester, and all of sort of the Manchester uh, community like that are be- behind us running that event there, which is fantastic. Excellent. Well, I look forward to uh, to maybe speaking again next year ahead of that, maybe to uh, to get the lowdown on it. You'd be you'd be more than welcome. We've also got another event coming up, which is a first as well. We, we're holding intergender matches up at St George's Park. Right. So our own over forties women and over fifties women and over seventies men are taking part in in matches. We've got uh, Kick It Out supporting us behind this because obviously it's. As we as we understand, it's the first sort of intergender matches at that level. We we know that club teams women play against men, but at that sort of national level, we believe that's the first, and that should be a fantastic occasion up at St George's Park. So uh, you'd be more than welcome to come up to there as well if you wanted to see what what we do. Oh, let's let's see how how things pan out, and and yeah, be interested to to see how that goes. Now, just just going back to. That that first game at Brighton, it was well publicised at the time that that England lifted that trophy against Italy. But there were a, a couple of familiar names that people may recognise. Yeah, the um, 
the tri- first of all, the trial up at Burnley was quite incredible. We've had uh, a chap called Tommy Charlton and uh, a Liverpool legend called Alan Kennedy both shut trialing up at the uh, up at the Burnley trial. And um, I've got this fantastic picture of uh, we put them in the same team, and there are about four or five film crews around this group just filming what was going on and doing interviews and such like. And Alan wasn't available for that first match, but Tommy was invited as the uh, ambassador for the WFA. And we we selected our team of 10 and Tommy came along as the ambassador and joined us on the day. And uh, he came on for the last 15 minutes of that match and played and it just created such a, a media storm. And it was I a think lovely, it's just important story. to mention for those that maybe haven't put two and two together that that Tommy Charlton is the younger brother of of Bobby and Jack Charlton. Yeah, and and it was just lovely to to be able to give him his first England cap, if you like, at the age of seventy three, bearing in mind everything that his brothers had achieved, and he yeah. he is so proud of what his brothers had achieved, and his career was was cut short in in, in his twenties by injury. But he'd started walking football like the rest of us in his older years. And to give him that opportunity of going out and representing his country at the age of 73 was was fantastic. It certainly created a huge amount of media interest, which, again, going back to what I said earlier on, is about, about raising the profile of the sport. And, and that the coverage of that game was seen across the world. And I'm sure has helped people in other countries to think, well, that's a game that we could we could start up. We certainly know that it was seen in Singapore and Australia and New Zealand, and it created a lot of interest in those countries who who started the sport as a result of seeing it. So it did, it, you know, it achieved what we wanted it to achieve, and it was a fantastic moment for all of the players to be part of that. And for Tommy himself, uh, he was incredibly proud to to get that opportunity. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. Do you, do you foresee many? ex-pros turning to walking football in the future? That's a very interesting question. And uh, we have two ex-pros in the over-60 squad. We have Alan Kennedy from Liverpool, as you know. Yeah. We we actually gave... He, he won his third cap, uh, having won two previous England full international caps, his final one being against Wales and his third cap being walking football against Wales. And we've got another chap called Graham Collier, who's ex Knotts Forest in Scunthorpe. But there hasn't been a massive amount of interest from the ex-pros. I think a lot of them are quite happy playing charity games and things like that. You know, there was the well-publicised Harry's Full English and Harry's oh, yes. uh, programme on TV. And, you know, we've we've contacted them and suggested that it would be good for them to try walking football. But... Uh, we, we know we haven't had a response from that, and you, you know you you would think that there would be more ex pros who are interested in the sport, but we're quite pleased that they're not really because the wonderful thing about the sport at the moment is it um, it provides opportunities for people who may have not had those opportunities when they were younger. Yeah, as I as I said to you earlier, from my point of view, I've always been involved in grassroots football up until the age of something like fifty seven, and to get the opportunity to be involved. At a, at a national level for me is is a dream come true or it's, it's beyond a dream and I'm sure if you spoke to all of the players uh, who are non-ex-pros in who are playing the game who've been selected for England they would all tell you the same you know this is an opportunity they never thought they would have in life 
to represent their country. And it's it's a dream come true for most of them. So we, we do have rules about it. We we say that in a squad of 10, there can only be three ex-pros at one point. Okay. And, and there can only be two of them on the pitch at any time. So we're not excluding the ex-professionals, but what we are saying is it's predominantly a game for those people who are not ex-professionals. And that's the beauty of the sport. Yeah. So available to everyone. Uh, it, it's one of the most inclusive sports that you will find because although it's clearly open predominantly at competitions to the over 50s, uh, at my club, we have a number of people who are not yet 50 who come to club training sessions for health reasons. And we're finding more and more that people are being, uh, for want of a better word, prescribed walking football because it's good for their health. Uh, you have people who are obese. Interestingly, sorry, off on, on a tangent here, but we were asked to go to Malaysia and do some coaching and referee training in Malaysia because as a country, they've got one of the highest child obesity issues in the world, Okay, which I we all found a bit strange. And when we ran these courses, we were actually running the courses to doctors who uh, were connected with uh, hospitals in Malaysia and Kuala Lumpur and with the University of Malaysia in Kuala Lumpur. And what they wanted to do is they wanted to go into schools and get walking football started in schools in order to help reduce childhood obesity. And we've we've had a number of cases in this country of obese people who've been told, go and play walking football because it will be good for your health. At my club, we've got a guy with a heart condition who's been told he can't play 11-a-side football, but he can come and play non-contact walking football because that's good for his health. We've got a growing number of people who have uh, suffered from strokes and as part of their rehabilitation, walking football is good for them. Uh, we've got a guy at Abbeymead who's in his 30s, had a stroke, was only given a 2% chance of survival. Really? Uh, he comes along, he's still paralysed down one side of his body, so movement for him is very difficult. But when he joins in with our club sessions, when he gets the ball, every, it's like a freeze frame, mm. people stop. They let him pass the ball on. We carry on, and he's just—he's just one of the guys for that mm. hour uh, of the week. And we're finding that's happening more and more around the country. And one of the interesting projects that I'm involved at the moment is with walking football for people with Parkinson's. I was asked to be involved in the We Are Undefeatable campaign, which was a, a huge honour to to run a virtual walking football team, which was quite a challenge. One of the guys who was part of that team had Parkinson's and he shared with us a video of him walking with great difficulty at a, a Parkinson's sufferer's shuffle. And he shuffled out to a football. And then as soon as the football was at his feet, was at his feet he, he just became normal and ran around the garden with his really? football until his dog tackled him. <laughs> and then he was sort of left stranded in the middle of his garden and he had to find his walking sticks and, and shuffled off again. And, you know, having a football in front of them, he, he says when he goes to his walking football club, he becomes normal for an hour. Mm. And we've looked into that and we're trying to develop walking football now for people living with Parkinson's. And uh, I'm I'm going to Watford to run a training session for groups of people in the southeast who have got Parkinson's to, to try and form a team. And then we're going to play a team from the south against a team from the north at the National Parkinson's Games and try to, again, spread the word and to develop the game as a way of helping people with that condition to 
to feel that they they can do a sport that is is going to help them. Yeah, which I think at the moment is is so important, bearing in mind the past eighteen months that we've all endured. But I think for people who who have been maybe isolating and and not with that contact with people, and they they have got other underlying conditions, but but they love the game of football and they're able to to go out and and participate it is so important. The the health and welfare aspects of walking football are fantastic just to get the older generation off their backsides and out in the fresh air doing something that is fit and healthy for them physically is brilliant but you're right also the mental side of it the the banter and the fun that these people have the wfa's strapline if you like is friendship fun and fitness and the fun and the friendship are the most important aspects of that just going and having having a game of football with your mates, yes, it's competitive, but having a beer or a cup of coffee or something afterwards, the social and community aspects that these clubs are providing for groups of people, it, it's just fantastic. And I know we were hoping to talk to Tommy Charlton and, and he would have he would have said that, that the benefits of walking football are the biggest reason to get involved in it, the fun that you can have with people that you may have played football with back in when you were 20, 30 years old, or people that you've never met before. It's just the fantastic side of the sport is the health and welfare benefits. And we're finding that that's being sort of spread really as a as this idea of social prescription, as I was saying earlier, and people with, with health conditions being able to take part in the sport. But post-COVID, teams, players were itching to get back out. And uh, I think my club is fairly typical of many that we've had an influx of new players who have been locked up for a year, year and a half, and they're desperate to get out and do something to get themselves fit. So, um, yeah, it's it's that it's a growing sport and the benefits to all its members and people who try it are just fantastic. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think that's an ideal opportunity for to plug the various ways for, for people to get involved. I mean, there is a website, isn't there, and Twitter and, and that side of things on social media. But what are the best ways to for people to contact their local walk-in football association? Yeah, well, the, the WFA has a, a Find a Club section on its website. You can also go on to your search for your county FA and they will have details uh, on their websites of walking football clubs. I'm sure if, if anyone is listening and they want to find out more, if you just Google walking football in and then put your town or city or village, then things will come up there as to who to contact. There are lots of sessions. Most sessions out there are inclusive. Most sessions are run as a pay and play concept where you don't have to commit to every week. You just turn up and pay your money and play when you can. So there's no commitment to it. Lots of sessions will have beginner sessions as well. And if, you, if you're worried about the idea of running, you will very quickly get used to it. After your first week, you'll get used to the fact that you can't run after the ball. You can't play the ball into space for other people to run onto. And yes, it will frustrate the hell out of you to start with. But <laughs> you, 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 so, you very soon get used to it. And we're hoping that lots of, we're hoping that doing things like this the whole idea of doing things like this is to raise the profile of the game to get more people involved and to share what we're doing at a national level. So hopefully some of the, the people who listen to this will think, yeah, why not? Let's try it. Let's try the game out predominantly for over 50s. But like I said, there's a growing 
number of people under 50 who are playing the sport as well. And uh, I, I wish you all the very best with it. And and these these global tournaments or coming up next year. Yeah, let's let's talk further in in the future. I hope people find it interesting. You know, that's really what we're, we're after. Is, mm. is if we can get another four or five people who take the sport up as a result of listening to this, then it's it's been a success because they just want to turn up on a Wednesday night, pay their five quid, and play for our. That's right, and, yeah. and the fact that walking football can can do that for people is just brilliant. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you for your support in inviting me on to talk about it as well. It's uh, it's great. If if you're listening and thinking about it, come on, come and join the fun. It's great. Excellent, Stuart Langworthy. Thank you very much for your time, and as I say, all the best. Thank you to Stuart for his time there. Real insight into the world of walking football. If you do want to find out more, as he said, head to the website, the wfa.co.uk. Or you can follow him on Twitter at Stu Langworthy, S-T-U-L-A-N-G-W-O-R-T-H-Y. Now, I'll be back very soon with a preview of our matches against Austria and Romania. Yes, they're finally coming round, and I hope you can join me for it. And hopefully, I'll be able to bring you a guide to Middlesbrough too. And don't forget, Block 109 are intending to run a coach, or coaches, from London up to Borough. We've stopped at Watford, Milton Keynes, Northampton and Watford Gap. Why not drop them a line on social media if you are a Travel Club member, and if that's something that interests you. As always, thank you for listening. All previous episodes are available at 3lionspodcast.com or your usual podcast provider like Spotify or iTunes. And if you are tuned in there, why not drop a review? That'd be quite nice. And the show is on all the usual social media channels. If you do want to get in touch, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And ahead of the Euros, I'm hoping to get as many voices on as possible from you, the supporters. If you want to contribute with an opinion on the games, be it the Croatia one, the Scotland one, the Czech Republic, or fingers crossed going forward, those knockout ones, drop me a voice message by email. Literally just open up your phone, give me a review on the game, keep it to about 30 seconds, send it to 3lionspodcast at gmail.com and we'll get your opinions on the podcast. So until then, take care. Look after yourself. Under 40s. I think you can go and get jabbed up now, can't you? Go on. Go and do it. Cheers. Cheers.